Welcome to day 40 of the story that changes everything. Today's readings are the final chapters of Leviticus chapters 25 through 27. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapter 25 centers on what may be my favorite law in the Torah, the year of Jubilee. In this unique and challenging command, notice that the land becomes a kind of character in God's story, and it too is worthy of God's concern. In this law, the land and the land's creatures is owed and given its own Sabbath rest. The word jubilee comes from the horns, the jubils, that are blown to announce this year of the Lord's favor. After there have been seven cycles of Sabbath years, the total comes to 49, another year is added that becomes the 50th year, and the moment when all the debts are canceled and all the land is given back to its original owners, this is a kind of economic do-over for everybody. I spent a few years living in Oklahoma, and if you know anything about Oklahoma's history, you know that in 1889, the state was essentially given away. They shot off a gun, and people ran out and claimed relatively equal parcels of property. Historically speaking, that's not that long ago, 130-something years. But now, thanks to a Dust Bowl era and maybe an oil rush, um, the original owners of those properties largely lost that land. It's owned by somebody else today. That doesn't matter that much to us in a non-agrarian culture like we live in. But in the agrarian world, if you lost land, you lost all of your hope for the future, all of your possibility of well-being. And so the year of Jubilee says maybe even an economically just system has moments where people lose their land and the rich seem to get richer and the poor seem to get poorer. And so Perhaps we should, every 50 years or so, have a giant do-over and let everybody have their land back and give everybody a chance to begin again. It's a beautiful and powerful and challenging law. Notice that when the Sabbath year is described, God promises to supply in year six enough for the people to make it for three years. They'll need enough to get through year six, year seven, And when they plant in year one, it won't grow till the end, so they need enough for that year too. This not only illustrates trust on the part of God's people, but it echoes the liturgy of abundance that we talked about earlier that was part of the manna story in Exodus. This entire law is built on God's statement in verse 23, the land must not be permanently sold because the land is mine. You are just immigrants and foreign guests of mine. Verses 46 through 47 in the chapter are unfortunate in the way they treat foreign slaves differently than those that become indentured servants from within Israel. However, later in the scripture, for example, in Deuteronomy, in Job, and in Proverbs, and certainly in the New Testament, the dignity of all people, regardless of their nationality, will be elevated. It appears from various historical records that there were periods in Israel's history where they carefully observed the sabbatical year. In fact, there are records of nations not charging the Jewish people taxes during the seventh year. However, there is no record of a jubilee ever taking place, and it's not hard to guess why. I don't want to give too much away, but this theme of jubilee, or the year of the Lord's favor, will be picked up later in Isaiah 61. And through that text, it will also be picked up by Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and become a very important lens through which Jesus articulates the forgiveness, the do-over, that the gospel offers. 
Chapter 26 lists several blessings that will come to the people if they follow these laws and several curses if they fail to be obedient. Before those are given, the chapter opens with two familiar-sounding verses about avoiding idolatry and observing the practices of the temple. Perhaps all of the successes or failures to follow begin by either staying close to right worship or letting the centrality of worship become neglected. The pattern in this chapter of blessing and curses is not so much a promise of how things will turn out, either good or bad, as it is a word of wisdom. The idea that if Israel does good things, then blessings will follow, but if they do bad things, bad things will happen, is generally true. Sometimes this is referred to as the deuterohistoric perspective. Of course, later in the wisdom tradition, we'll meet a character, Job, who did all the right things, but things fell apart anyways, but that's still a few months away. Notice that in verse 12, God promises to walk with the people in ways reminiscent of the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And then the very next verse, verse 13, goes to Exodus and reminds them of God's deliverance from bondage. When the curses come, they get progressively worse, and they always include a line about being punished seven times more. There will be echoes of this much, much later in the Bible, when Revelation talks about God's judgment and pictures it as pouring forth on creation seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumpets. Notice in verses 34 and 35 that when the people are cursed, that the land will get the Sabbath rest that it was owed, but denied when the people were disobedient. I know as you read these curses, they are harsh, but notice that grace is offered. The text says, but if they confess, then everything will change. I would also point out that these verses closely describe the experience of the people later in exile, especially in Babylon. Because of that, it's difficult for scholars to imagine that many, if not all of these verses are later additions to the text placed there during the exile to both narrate prophetically how the people got there, how they lost their land, but also how to live if and when God redeems them and lets them return to the land. Chapter 26, verse 46 was almost certainly the original ending of the book of Leviticus. It appears that chapter 27 is a later addition placed into the law to address a particular issue. People apparently are coming and giving things or even people back to God and the tabernacle or temple leaders aren't quite sure what to do with it. Every church I've ever been a part of has had to create various policies on what to do when someone donates a piece of property or a car or a bunch of stocks to the church. When I was a kid, I remember my dad trying to figure out how to sell three or four diamonds that someone had given to the church. This chapter is Israel's ancient handbook on how the priests are to handle all these non-sacrificial gifts. And these provisions also make it possible for someone to buy back their property or even their children or their servant. Think about the story of Samuel or Hannah that's coming up. If they decide they want this stuff back, or if the priests don't know what to do with it, there's provision made for people to buy it back. Verses 28 and 29 again seem unfortunate and tragically harsh. However, these verses relate to a concern we will see soon in the Old Testament, the what are called harem laws related to whether or not to keep foreign property or even foreign people that God had consecrated or demanded that they be eliminated. These things, or even people that God had commanded as part of the harem laws, 
cannot be kept by anyone, and they certainly can't be donated to the tabernacle. A few words are added to the end of the chapter on tithing that form some of the basis for contemporary practices of tithing that many Christians have made part of their financial discipline. Well, congratulations. You made it through Leviticus. I hope that something about the rituals, priests, behavioral codes, and pictures of grace and atonement helped you to have a better understanding of the holy life to which God calls his people. Many of the specifics are very different, but the intentional call to reflect the goodness and holiness of God remains on our life. So read these last chapters carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Listen to what the Spirit might say to you through the scripture today. Keep journaling your thoughts, your prayers, your questions, and know that you serve a holy God who isn't afraid to proclaim a jubilee and give people a do-over. Well, on to book number four, the book of Numbers, but that's tomorrow. Our readings for tomorrow are Numbers chapters one through three. I'll talk to you tomorrow.